Good afternoon. <clears throat> Jeff Stevens here. Again, listening to some Set for the Fall. This one's a few years old. Still good. Hope everyone's doing well in the midst of the voting shenanigans and the second round of pandemic stuff going on. And I figured it's the least I can do to come to you today and talk about the one thing that's never talked about on the news, but is the most important thing in the world, in the universe, and in your life, and that's Jesus Christ. So, very important that we, uh, as believers, keep Jesus first. I know it's easy to get caught talking about other things, and not that it's not important to, but oftentimes as believers, we are drug into society and to culture, and uh, we got to keep what's first first. I wanted to talk to you today a little bit about learning, learning from the Word of God, learning about the Word of God, uh, and why it is so important. And if this is one thing that I've found uh, to be something that is Uh, At the forefront of what I've talked about with guys in my circle who are believers, um, I've found that this one is probably the number one, and that is reading and learning the Word of God. Um, In in church uh, right now, uh, the pastor and I have decided, uh, we do our Wednesday night evening uh, Bible study, which is open forum and, and on video, live. Uh, and it doesn't always stick straight to a topic. It, you know, it's meant to be open forum, so it's got some, uh, it's got some left and right turns. However, um, you know, we've gone over some of the, you know, basic topics of systematic theology and, uh, some other just kind of random topics. Uh, but we try to make it a good, uh, study, a good exegetical introspective study. Um, and, what we've, we have decided to go over for the next number of weeks is the doctrines of grace. Um, you know, if you're not a Calvinist, that's okay. These things create the foundation for, for our soteriology. Um, what becomes important about these is why do I know and how do I know that I'm saved and can I, can I keep it? Can I lose it? What do I have to do for it? So these are all really important things to understand. Um, and it, it's just not surprising to me that in regular conversation in church with churchgoers who've been going to church for years and years, is you can do just a little bit of studying and then engage somebody on it and realize they've never learned any of this stuff. So how do you know? Um, learning the Word of God. So I've talked about this in previous podcasts. I've talked about it from the pulpit. I've talked about it with friends, with family. Look, the example set forth in the Bible is that we are the bride of Christ. As the church, we are the bride. So as a couple, if you take it and apply it to what a marriage looks like uh, here for us uh, between a man and a woman, it is imperative that you know your significant other, that you know who they are and what they like and what their favorite color is and what they like to eat, what movies they like to watch. All of these things are an important part of them knowing that you love them because you know them and you've desired to know them and you've taken the time to know them. And, uh, you know, all these things go into a relationship where two people love one another 
And it's about taking the time to love one another. So um, I say that because we're going to talk about some things and I'm going to not go through big sections of the Bible, but we'll take some verses that support why learning and why knowledge from the Bible, not just wisdom, imparted wisdom from the Holy Spirit, but knowledge of and from the Bible is important. When it comes to this intimacy that we learn, you know, I just pulled up these um, this thing from Psychology Today, which is definitely not a uh, a Christian site or a site for believers. <clears throat> you know, it's it's definitely secular. But they get this article, and this article came out like four years ago. It's written by a PhD, so a psychologist, and it's kind of it's mumbo jumbo. But it goes into the twenty one questions to tell how well you really know your partner. And uh, I just, it was kind of an interesting read because as I look at this thing, uh, every single one of these things I could take somehow and apply it to our relationship with God. Now, some might be a stretch. I know some are weird, but I'll take some of these things and say, uh, take the sixth one on the list. What disappointments or rejection from your partner's past still stings? If you can't apply that to the Word of God, you've never read the Word of God. Number seven is, which of your partner's achievements are they most proud of? Um, Some of these other ones that uh, are just important. You know, what is your partner's favorite flavor of ice cream? Probably not, not something you can relate to the Word of God, but... When you think of that, God has put such an amazing array of food on the planet for us to eat. Um, you know, these are, are things that he did for us. I mean, you can relate a lot of these just to creation in itself. Anyway, we go through all of these things. Some of these are just about history as well, which is it lends to, do you talk to your spouse about their family? You know, how did, how did your partner spend their summers as a child? You know, something about their development, they grown up, their mom, their dad, all this kind of stuff. So it lends to us knowing our spouse in a way that shows that we have talked to them, learned from them, taken the time. And these are things you're supposedly willing to pull right off the top of your head. So what it does is it breaks it down into these sections and it's got um, four sections that score you as out of the 21 as 16 or more points as being knowing your partner very well as 10 to 15 points and knowing them pretty well five to nine points you've only been together a short time and then zero to four points is this thing says it's good news but there's lots of room for improvement if we were to equate this to our Lord, I would say, if you did a test of, of 21 and you knew none of them to four of them, that's not good news. That's bad news. Uh, there's definitely room for improvement, but we need to do it now. Um, <clears throat> one of the things that it talks about as the, you know your partner very well, uh, if you haven't been with your partner for very long and you know all these, you get a pretty intense relationship style. Well, if you're anything like me, when you got saved, 
When you realize in that moment that the Holy Spirit convicted you and it was time for you to get off your keister and start becoming familiar with this God who had the power to reach into your heart, cut you to the quick, change your life in an instant and say, I want you. I have better for you. I'm going to sanctify you. I'm going to glorify you. I'm going to make you better. I'm going to pull the junk out of your life because I love you. I died for you. This is not a stretch for me. We should be digging in and learning and becoming more intimate with our God. We should be passionate about it. We should be passionate about it. I would say that if you're not passionate about learning about your God, you need to question your salvation. I'll say it again. If you're not passionate about learning about your God from the Word of God, you need to question your salvation. It is imperative that we are digging in on this. And there's, there's a few reasons why I'm going to get into in a few minutes. But if I was to make a list of 21 things out of the word of God, and I don't just mean simple stuff like who is God's son, Jesus. What do we call the spirit in the Trinity, the Holy Spirit? I don't want, I don't mean simple questions. If I was to dig in on some questions that were a little bit more intimate about God, Ask yourself this question right now. Could you answer those questions? Now, the Bible's big, and there's a lot of information in it, and some of that information is information that's not going to have a humongous impact on your salvation, a humongous impact on uh, your intimacy with God. I mean, there are you know lists of names of people that don't necessarily change your faith, um, there are especially Old Testament events and where and when they happen that may not have uh, um, you know, very specific purpose for your life. Although knowing those things can make you a better Bible scholar and a person who is better to answer questions from non-believers and young believers alike, there it is all good information, but I would say not an imperative. Um, so very important nonetheless. If I made a, a list of 21 questions that was all relevant to, like I brought up earlier, let's just use the word soteriology, your salvation, the study of your salvation, the doctrine of salvation, 21 questions that said, how are you saved? Why are you saved? Who are you saved to? Who are you saved for? What did you do to get saved? If I, if I made 21, would you be able to answer them all? And even as a believer who's been a believer for a number of years, would you do really well? Or would you just be able to shrug your shoulders and say, I just know. I just know I'm saved. Which, I don't think that's the right answer. And why is it not the right answer? Well, this is a verse that's used regularly to support our um, being able to have an answer for our faith, right? So it's 1 Peter 3.15, and I'll read it from the ESV. It says, but in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you, yet do it with gentleness and respect. So the gentleness and respect I'm going to set aside from now, that means we love people. The hope that is in you. What is the hope that is in you? That is the gospel. So the gospel message. Christ came for us. He is God incarnate. He is He is fully man. He is fully God. He lived a holy life. He was sinless. 
uh, you know, at around 30 years old, he uh, began a ministry. About three years into that ministry, he was um, crucified by the um, Roman soldiers uh, under the guise of the Jewish king. They put him to death because he blasphemed them. They hung him from a cross. There he took upon him the sin of the world. He became the propitiation for sin. He atoned for the sins of uh, all who believe in him. And then he went to the grave after he died. Three days later, he rose from that grave. He conquered sin and death. And he is seated at the right hand of the Father now. Because of that act, we have access to the Father. He is our righteousness. He is our atonement for the sin that we carry because of our sinful nature, because of original sin. And that is how we live in eternity in paradise forever after our uh, physical death here on earth. So that is the hope. But how do I know that? Here's the thing that Peter is telling us here is always be prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks for that reason. So I would say young believers, old believers, non-believers, people of other religions who are just inquiring, who have questions about Christianity, about our faith, about why do you act the way you act? Why do you go to church when you do? Why do you study what you study? Um, These are all very important things. The most important part of this entire verse is this. In your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense. Peter is saying here, be prepared always to make this defense, and that honors Christ. In your heart, you are honoring Christ. This is a command. This is not a, hey, it would be pretty good if you knew the Bible a little bit better. Because if you knew it a little bit better, man, you'd really be a powerhouse for the Holy Spirit. No, no, that's not the way it works. The Holy Spirit's the one who works in people's lives and gets them saved. What Peter's saying here is, when you make a defense for your faith, when you know the Word of God, when you know why that Word of God has worked in your heart, why the Holy Spirit has done that act, that work in your heart and saved you, you are able to answer that because you have knowledge, because you know what you know about your life, because you've read the Word of God, you understand your salvation, you understand your faith, and you're able to give clear, concise, deliberate answers as to why you know that you are saved. People will ask questions like, but how do you know you're saved? Can I lose my salvation? But what if I'm sinning? But what if I keep doing this? But I've got all this junk in my past. Are you able to reference the word of God and say, no, it's all right, man. We're all sinners. Why do you know this? So this, these are imperatives, and what is imperative about this whole thing is the first part of this verse, in your hearts, honor Christ. That's how we honor Christ. Don't we want to do that in our relationship, in our intimate relationship with someone, one who we would consider uh, in a marriage-type bond with? We honor them regularly, always, but also because we... He loved us first, therefore we love him, and because we love him, we want to honor him, and we honor him through preparing ourselves to make that defense to anyone who asks the reason for that hope that's in us. These, this is, these are imperatives. So let's start talking about learning. So what does the Bible say anything about learning the Word of God? Does it say anything about studying the Word of God? Does it say anything about that intimacy that I keep talking about that brings you closer to God, that helps to get you to prepare that message of hope that you're able to share with people? I would say yes. 
I would say do a study in Proverbs. I did a study in Proverbs with my wife and kids a couple of years ago, and it seems like this theme keeps coming around and around and around again. You know, here we've got Solomon, who's, you know, brilliant, had all these um, people who taught him, and he was learning all this amazing stuff, and he tells us there's nothing new under the sun. Well, in Proverbs, there's all this stuff that keeps saying, keep learning. And it'll say things like this in Proverbs 1.5, let the wise hear and increase in learning and the one who understands obtain guidance. So we are called to learn, to increase our learning about our Father and about Jesus. Um, We should get guidance. So Go to the people in your church who are elders and teachers and preachers and talk to them. If you're a man, go to your pastor or your elders. They should be prepared to give you an answer. If they're not, then maybe you need to seek out another place where the people there are prepared to do that. You know, if you're, um, you know, a lady in the church, you need to be prepared to deliver to the young ladies and the children these, this, this guidance. If you're not then you need to get in the Word of God. That's what you're there for, to give that guidance. Um, Proverbs gives this, uh, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, uh, four times specifically. Once it says wisdom, but the, it, Proverbs one seven says this, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. So what is he saying to us here? An understanding of our right place in our depravity to God that God is holy, he's outside of everything, that God is the God of wonders, that he created the entire universe, and we fear him because he is so majestic and he is the king, and that without him and without his saving grace, we are led to destruction. Knowing that is the beginning of knowledge. It's the starting point of, I want to learn more, to get closer to my creator. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. So I'll tell you this, if you're in a church where people are not studying, learning, praying, teaching, learning more, digging into the word of God, doing deep Bible studies, not just about what makes you feel good and, you know, I'm a warrior for Christ or, um, you know, I'm going to learn all the ladies of the Bible and how cool they were. But like, why do you believe what you believe and create a defense for it? If you are not doing that, then you, uh, um, you know, are living in a foolish type uh, of environment. You should be um, looking for that instruction. See, it says, here that fools despise wisdom and instruction. We should be seeking it out. And if those that are in positions of authority and teaching are not learning more so that they're able to deliver it more, they are fools as well. And uh, I would um, encourage you to seek out somebody else. Sometimes that's not always the big church with the best band. Sometimes it's just um, you know, somebody in your circle, your neighborhood, or another church that's able to do that for you. Um, get uncomfortable. Uh, the, the word of God doesn't say I'm going to make you comfortable. Remember, so, uh, challenge yourself. Um, Proverbs 18, 15, again, Proverbs is just full of this stuff. An intelligent heart acquires knowledge. So this is an intelligent heart. So this is like, I, my heart should desire knowledge. You know, Isaiah is clear that our heart 
seeks after evil. It's this strange dichotomy, but it's my heart as in my desire should want to learn more. And it says the ear of the wise seeks knowledge. So I should be, you know, listening more, uh, pull up podcasts, listen to people who do exegetical studies, uh, and uh, dig in and learn about your savior more. This is a verse that I've talked about quite a bit lately, and I'm going to caveat it a little bit, but I did, a. Uh, a sermon on this earlier this year, and it's it's on an earlier podcast about God breathed, uh, or it's called Just Breathe. But in 2 Timothy 3.16, this is really important, and I'll go over it again, but all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching. Breathed out, theonoustos. Not just, but blown, but God breathed, which means that it is uh, all one, the word's not a conjugation, it's a new word, theonustos, it's like the breath of God. So that scripture is that when you read it, it is God's breath coming over you, filling you with truth. So it's important that we read it and we learn it and we let it permeate us uh, in a way that only the word of God can do and nothing else. It's profitable for teaching. So this helps us create our defense for our hope, right? So it's going to teach us. It reproof and correction. So it's going to allow us to know what is right and what is wrong. Because when the people in your circle at your church or in your life are doing things that are incorrect, they are sinful and they're leading them down a path, we should be able to look at that person, that situation, that sinfulness and say, that's not what God would have for you. Here is why, here's why it says what it says. And now we know that liberal churches are not doing this because they're foolish and they don't read from the word of God or they set it aside. It says all, all. In Greek, the word means all. In Hebrew, it means all. English, it means all. Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching. That means when God says something is not good for us, then it's not good for us, period. So the word of God teaches us What's good for reproof or correction? And we need to take that in. We need to learn it. We need to apply it to our lives. We need to not be afraid to look at people, especially in our immediate circle. And I don't mean go down the street and yell at people with picketing signs and tell them they're sinful, but the people in our circle and say, this is not good for your life. It's not good for your heart. It's not good for your relationship with God. Here's why. Let's pray about it. Let's dig into the word of God and let God speak this over our lives. That scripture is also good for training in righteousness. So how do I become more righteous? How am I responsible at all for part of my sanctification process here on earth? I believe sanctification is two parts. God does a bunch of the sanctifying by making our hearts desire after things that are more righteous, but we can actually respond to that and become more sanctified by doing things like training ourselves, digging into the word of God. Like Tim, Paul says to Timothy here, that if you, if you cut out the words in the middle, all scripture is breathed out by God and is pros- profitable for training in righteousness. So I read the word of God, I apply it to my life, and it helps to train me to become more righteous. And when I become more righteous, I have the ability now to do better reproof and correction over people who are stepping out. And I'm also more profitable as a teacher or a preacher or a pastor or a mother or a father or a brother or a sister or somebody who's walking with Christ who's able to deliver the word of God. I'm a better evangelist. I'm a better friend. I'm a better coworker, all because I know this word of God. 
And this thing goes on. A lot of people like to stop in 2 Timothy 3.16, but you got to go on to verse 17 as we keep going because it says that the man of God may be competent, equipped for every good work. So what does that mean if you're not learning from the Word of God and you're just preaching it? Well, that means you're incompetent. That means God is telling you, you're not good enough to do this. What type of incompetent person is qualified to stand at a pulpit or is qualified to preach the Word of God? None. You wouldn't want to go to an incompetent person to teach you how to fix your car or an incompetent person to teach you, uh, uh, you know, how to do open heart surgery. You wouldn't want to go to somebody that's incompetent to do your open heart surgery or to fix your car. So why would you go to an incompetent person who's going to deliver the Word of God to you to an incompetent person who is going to teach you about the intimacy of your salvation? And why would you want to be incompetent about it if you truly want to share that hope when you know that it's about saving people's lives, that it is truly about eternal salvation? You don't want to be incompetent on these things. You want to be as well learned as you possibly can so that you are able to deliver a powerhouse of a message so that uh, as we do this, as we um, uh, allow the Holy Spirit to work in our culture, that we are in line with what God would have us say to him, that we are delivering words that are, are true and they come from truth. And then it goes on in verse 17 to say, equip for every good work. So those good works come out of a place of where we don't just uh, loosely say, ah, do good works because I'm saved. Okay, but why? But why do you do good works because you're saved? And what do those good works look like? You know, I would say very easily some of those good works are turned right around to the beginning of this and saying, learn the word of God. And part of that good work is working in the people in your church, in your circle, and where you work by knowing the Word of God well enough that you are able to deliver it to them in a way that shows you not only your competence, but touches their heart, helps them to learn the Word of God well. Very important stuff that we get into here. I would say this, as we learn these things, as you go into books of the Bible, if you get a study Bible, Start out whatever book you're going to be in with. Learn the history of the book a little bit. Who wrote it? When was it written? Why was it written? Who was it written to? It's really important to get context when we learn the Word of God because, as many of you probably have and I have as well, people will say things and do things that are not applicable or should be applied just out of their lack of knowledge. So reading the Bible in context is extremely important. And you can gather a lot of that context just by having a good study Bible um, and that being the starting point. And then having somebody in your life who is a discipler, somebody who you can go to with regular questions or even people you can go to um, with regular questions. And that person might be somebody who leads a small group or a person who leads a study group, but really important um, as you develop your faith to have somebody who is learned in the Word of God, who is delivering this information well. And I don't just mean willy-nilly. Just because you raised your hand in a church meeting and said, I'll teach a Bible study, doesn't mean you're qualified. So these people should really be qualified to do this. Um, and that needs to be well understood. Um, the reason I say that is, you know, it's clear here as Paul talks to Titus, you know, in Timothy and Titus, Paul is showing the structure of the church and how things should look, right? So he's 
telling them who should lead the church and how they should lead the church and what their qualifications are and all this kind of stuff. Again, this is all context. This is stuff we learn when we read and we study. In Titus 2.1, he says, but as for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. So um, when we're teaching, we need to be teaching and making sure that it's in line with the doctrine that we learned, the doctrine of Jesus Christ, our doctrines of grace, as I, you know, I've gone over uh, uh, just in the last few minutes. But really important that we, um, we stick with this plan that we are going to continue to learn and grow in Christ as we develop our faith walk so that, as Peter says, we're able to, uh, at any point in time, honor Christ and that we're prepared to make a defense for that hope that lies within us. Um, There is so much going on in the church and even in politics today where we see this humongous, I hate this word, evangelical movement, you know, uh, euangelion, the word to, to preach. We're using this word to describe a bunch of people who wear uh, faith-based t-shirts, but have probably never cracked the word of God. Uh, you know, they would love a Hillsong concert because it's a rock show, but they don't know who Jesus is. And they live in this hyper grace world where they just think they're saved because they voted a certain way. Uh, I'll take you back to Proverbs. Very important that we dig in on this stuff. Proverbs ten seventeen. whoever heeds instruction is on the path to life. <laughs> This is not, hey, I got it figured out, man. I got this so figured out. I just know Jesus is going to save me. Why? Just because he is. Look, heed instruction, learn, learn from the word of God. That's where your instruction starts. You're on a path to life. Conversely, those people who are like, eh, I don't need to dig in on that. I already know that. I already know what I know. He who rejects reproof leads others astray, right? And we don't want to be that person that leads people astray. So, you know, it's better to tie that millstone around your neck and chuck yourself in the, in the, in the ocean. So we want to make sure that we are heeding instruction because that is the path to life. Now, here's something I think is cool, and I'm going to leave you um, with these two verses um, to help you grow. Uh, they help me grow, and I think it's a good word, and it's a, a positive note to end on. But in, in James, uh, James, very intimate with Jesus, of course, as a brother, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. Um, I brought this up before. I'm waiting on that still small voice. I'm waiting to hear from God. Well, I will quote Pastor Mark Driscoll from Trinity Church in Scottsdale, Arizona on this. If you want to hear a word from God, read the word of God. Really simple. If you lack wisdom, let him ask God. So open the book and read. That's how you ask God. God is going to deliver you the answers in the book. I'm not saying don't pray and ask for him to to impart wisdom on you, but the book is right there. It's got all the knowledge in it that you need, and it's got all the reproof, all the correction, all the knowledge, all the wisdom. Read it, and it's going to be given to you generously without reproach. It's going to be given to you. That is the starting point for all of your wisdom, James is saying here. So Talk to God when you do it. Pray when you open the book. God, I'm doing this study this week. Uh, Just let it speak to my heart. Open something in my soul. Uh, Open something in my mind. Please pour it onto me. Help me memorize this verse. Whatever that may be. Read and read and read. 
read the beginning of, let's say we use the book of James, read it. Who was James? Where did he live? When did he live? When did he die? What is important about him? What is the context of what he was writing so that we understand what he's saying and when he was saying it? How does it apply? And then take that with you throughout the day. And you might find that what God does when you ask him for wisdom is he takes what you read that day, because you should be studying something every day, and he will apply it to your life that day. You'll have a word for somebody. You'll have an action for somebody. You will have a service for somebody. It will spark some other sort of learning that will lead you to somebody else. It will help you with creating that defense, right? Very, very important. And this goes in line with it. Uh, and in the book of John, and, and we're going to read from John 14 and verse 26, um, Jesus's words here, and we'll finish with this, say, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. So we're talking about the gospel message here. And it doesn't mean that the Holy Spirit's just going to plant himself in you and you know every word. But remember, we've developed a canon, uh, you know, a couple thousand years ago. This word of God, it is the most sacred, most secure uh, collection of books in the history of human kind. It is divinely inspired. It is inerrant. Um, and it is the word of God. It is alive. It is theonustos. It is God breathed. And all things he will bring to your remembrance through that book, through the word of God. He is going to develop a heart for you that creates an intimacy with him, that creates a desire to serve others. Because as we go back to, to Timothy, it's going to equip us for those good works because of that love that he had for us. Swelling up that love inside of us creates this love for others so we can do that good work. Part of that good work is that teaching one another. And we do it out of love for one another because we want other people to be prepared to defend uh their faith and their hope for anyone that should ask and to do it with gentleness and respect. So in closing, I would say there's a lot going on. We got uh, Thanksgiving coming up. People are starting to push against whether or not you're going to have people in your home. Me, I would encourage you to have people there because we love one another and Christ says to gather. God says to gather. We are beings made for fellowship so come together, come together in thankfulness, uh, not just thankfulness of our country and, uh, you know, our military and our defenders that keep us safe so we can break bread on that day, but thankful that God has blessed us and placed us in a part of the world and the community where we're able to worship him freely still today. And we will exercise that freedom by gathering together in prayer and in worship and in breaking bread. And through that breaking of the bread, we remember the broken body and the spilt blood of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who died upon the cross for the sins of all of us. Become intimate today with your Lord and Savior. Figure out 21 questions that you've got today for God and get more familiar with 
him. Dig in on the word of God, get to know him better, become intimately familiar with him and create that defense for the hope that lies within you. If you're like me, you have got a hope that extends way beyond the now. I have this tremendous love for my wife and my children that I want them to live in paradise forever with our Lord and Savior, learning and growing in an amazing world that my small pea brain cannot even fathom. And because of that hope, I dig in on this word of God and I get to know him so that I might share it with them and with the people in my community because it is the most important thing in the world. So I'll leave you with that today. Friends, love you. Uh, Stay on the grind.